Before we get started, I need to thank a new Patreon patron. Thank you, Matt Atkinson, for becoming a patron of the original cast, and I hope you enjoy being a patron and accessing the patrons-only podcast, the original cast, at the movies where 2024 is the year of Barbara Harris. Here in February, this month's movie is The Seduction of Joe Tynan, Alan Alda, Meryl Streep, and, of course, Barbara Harris. Look at politics in the late 70s. It's it's quaint in a lot of ways, and I can't wait to talk about it with uh, our excellent guests, Roddy Flynn and Elaine Hagen. But in addition to that, we uh, if you can't wait till the 27th of every month when the podcast is released on the Patreon-only feed, we do live stream recordings every month about a week beforehand. This one is on the 20th of February. We will be live streaming for all mezzanine and orchestra-level patrons. So go to patreon.com slash originalcastpod, gain access to the original cast of the movies, gain access to the original cast of the movies live Live stream recordings are so much fun. We're talking in the chat. We're having a great time. It's a wonderful time to join. Barbara Harris movies are f- turning out to be an interesting lot. Uh, so please come on over. Patreon.com slash original cast pod. All right, here's the show. Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew. Not with you to lean on, darlings, you. Hello and welcome to the Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is an actress and performer and singer. It's M. Whitworth, everybody. Beep, 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 beep. There she is. How's it going? It's going. It's going Good. great. Good. That's good. We're going I'm great. From sunny Bushwick, Brooklyn. There you go. Always, it's always sunny in Bushwick, as I understand. Hey, the bangs are yeah. short. The vibes are banging. You know, <laughs> the vibes, are, the bangs are short. The vibes are long. <laughs> and uh, yes, absolutely, coming to 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 you live from Brooklyn. But we're gonna go. We're not gonna go to Brooklyn, and we're not going to DC today. No, you're here to talk about. Rogers and Hammerstein's Oklahoma, the sexy version. Right, yes, the Oklahoma that f***s. There's a bright golden haze on the meadow. There's a bright golden haze on the meadow. The corn is as high as a elephant's eye And it looks like it's climbing clear up to the sky Oh, what a beautiful morning Oh, what a beautiful Got a beautiful feeling. Everything's going my way. We're here to talk about <laughs> everybody's everybody's favorite stripped-down, circular, um, jeans-clad uh, experience. Um, and so, man, that's, that's just about me not even the show and that and that's just that that has nothing to do and then also there's a show uh but so we'll start at the beginning how did oklahoma come into your life um one so so one could say that i am a saint anne's warehouse 
devourer. I am, okay. I'm an acolyte, an apostle of St. Anne's Warehouse. Um, have have always loved their stuff. And um, one could also say that I'm not a huge musicals person. I mm. did musicals as a child, um, was sort of aware of Oklahoma as a concept, um, saw it blow through DC in 2011 when Arena mm-hmm. Stage hit, mm-hmm. uh, and was impressed with it, but, you know, mm. had um, was sort of ensconced in like, strange straight plays uh and then saw that oklahoma was being done by one daniel fish and uh made my way up to new york to see it specifically because uh of the the direction and the style of it um i saw it when it played at circle the square on broadway and it absolutely it rocked my world um, and there were a couple of really cool DC connections to it, like that I ended up only realizing in retrospect. Um, the first was the arena stage connection that arena mm-hmm. had a couple years previously and had sort of, um, challenged some like notions that specifically like the traditional all white casting. Right. Um, and then, uh, James Davis was in sexy Oklahoma and James Davis was, um, Juliet in Shakespeare theaters, Romeo and Juliet, uh, all male production way back in like 2000. Yeah. Um, He played an awesome will in this production. So that was cool to see his, him sort of rep some DC, Mm -hmm. uh, some DC cred. Yeah. And then just that, that's how it sort of entered, entered my atmosphere through like a couple of different avenues. Sure. That's pretty good, I would say, and thorough. Um, yeah, it's it's this interesting. Oklahoma is such an odd show, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's not odd. Like, it's so funny that it escaped the discourse for a long time, because like Carousel and South Pacific have like so <laughs> much more front facing problems that yeah. like. Or like King and I, if you want to go extreme, but like you know, South yeah. Pacific and 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 Carousel, people are like, I mean, yes, but also, you know, and and then you can have this whole conversation about it. But Oklahoma, it's sort of skated through as being like, no, it's people and it's wholesome and it's cowboys and it's just this silly romantic comedy. And I remember watching the movie at some point, and I had one of those moments that I think a lot of people had when they saw the movie or the trailer maybe of for the Dear Evan Hansen movie, who'd only know knew the album and didn't know like we're like, wait, what what's this wait, that's what it's about? They what, were what smacked is in the face with the uncanny yeah. valley. Well and also the plot, like just the like, oh, it's about a what? It's a kid who does what? And like Oklahoma for me was sort of like, wait, what are they doing to that to Judd? What is happening in this scene? Like all these like weird sub like subtextual or even straight textual moments where i was just like this is bizarre and i really like how this version confronts them (laughs) in a very interesting and straightforward way absolutely i mean lest we forget the dream ballet oh of course the dream ballet everyone loves the dream oklahoma is a bizarre show oh yeah wildly bizarre it's a bizarre show 
with very little plot. The majority mm-hmm. of the plot revolves around buying someone's pre-made lean cuisine meal and auctioning it off to the highest bidder. Yes, absolutely. You got to buy them it, picnic baskets. That's the main <laughs> arc of Act Two is who sh- who right. will buy my 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 sweet meats. What? <laughs> it's bizarre. oh yeah. To your point about it, sort of escaping the 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 um, escaping into sort of the the um, what's the way to put it? Like it sort of escaped into this realm of musical theater that's like the buttery um, mm-hmm. the, the buttery flaky crust of nostalgia. And there we and, go, yeah. Like some of the other things. So, and I think partially we have Hugh Jackman to blame. I think like he sort of jumped right in and repackaged it between when a lot of other, these other musicals between their first and second remounts. Mm -hmm. Hugh Jackman remounted it and sort of the in-between and made it super palatable and like kind of sexy, but in a very sort of Ken doll way. Mm -hmm. And so it, it was sort of repackaged and sold to us in the early 2000s. Yes. And then the Susan Stroman production. Yeah. And then sort of escaped further scrutiny until 20, I guess, whenever the workshop was 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it, to your point, this production, I mean, the, the music, the cast album, incredible. Like the cast album mm-hmm. is beautiful. And the, the orchestration by Daniel Kluger is unreal. What he did with the Dream Ballet, absolutely stunning. But mm-hmm. in in addition, like the design, how they um how how Fish incorporated video and and live mm-hmm. videos into it. It was very like Evo Van Hove. It was very right. um, stripped down and weird. And it like not only did it, I feel like it took this hold this story apart but it also put it back together mm-hmm. in this very, is this very um, in, uh, accessible, but highly intentional way that also like added to it. It didn't just take it apart. It was an additive production. It was fascinating. What do you think it added to the, to the product, to the story or to the, to the show? I think it was a, I mean, I guess the the first the first thing that comes to mind is that they cast Will. Oh, excuse me. They cast Laurie and Curly about ten years older than they're mm. usually played, mm-hmm. and they played them ten years older. So we were looking at a at a Laurie and Curly. To also, I'm realizing. Should we like summarize the plot of this for the good people? Sure, we probably, you know, we probably should. That's a good point because I usually skip that with with shows this like kind of iconic. But mm-hmm. I think it's like you, it's occurring to me as you were saying all this. So, like people may not know what the plot of the show is. So yeah, why don't you go ahead if you would and summarize the plot of Oklahoma? Okay, so once upon a time, Mary Testa sang an opening song, and then. <laughs> And we were reborn. And we were reborn again. <laughs> um, once upon a time, Dan Dunno made all of our balls drop at the same time. Um, <laughs> so Oklahoma is uh, very, very 
this is the very, very stripped out version. Oklahoma is about um, a love triangle between Lori, who is uh, a, I guess a, she's a farm hand. Um, she lives on a farm with her aunt yes. Eller. She's a farmer, and, not a cowgirl. Yes, they can't be friends. And Lori is in a love triangle with Hurley, a charming cowhand. Yes. And Judd, a historically less charming and, in fact, uh, gross and terrible mm-hmm. farmhand who works for her family, I think yes. is the connection. Um, yes. And it's kind of all about that. Somewhere in it, Oklahoma becomes a state. That is Which, certainly an undercurrent of this whole, like, this is a thing that gets kind of forgotten is that a major, it's not a plot point exactly, but it's something everyone's talking about is that there's this change on the horizon where Oklahoma is going to go from being a territory to being a state. And one could say it's, it's kind of, it's the eponymous moment of the show. Sure. We're not singing Lori and Curly exclamation point. Right. We're singing, We're singing Oklahoma. We're now state. Right. Absolutely. So going back to the question about what the illustrious Daniel Fisher, Fish, mm-hmm. Daniel Fish production did. Um, in tra- more traditional, like OG productions, Lori is like maybe 18, mm-hmm. 17, if you're nasty. Like Hurley's also young and handsome. Um, Judd is usually like a little older, gross um evil like mm-hmm. he's yes. played evil and lustful and sort of like a terrible person who was born bad and in this production Lori and curly were played mid 30s mm-hmm. and that was interesting that feels interesting and it comes through so much in the performances especially of the iconic song people will say we're in love right where um when you have two young people who have never kissed before. Right. Or like very chaste and Yes. Don't start collecting things. Give me my rose and my glove. Sweetheart, they're suspecting Versus playing it totally in the subtext of these are two adults who actively are hooking up and hook up only when Curly is in town. Right. That is why they will, that is why Lori is afraid to commit to him or will not commit to him is because he will not commit to her, but they're still going to have sex. It's hot. Like what? Give me my rose and my glove. Sweetheart, they're suspecting things. People will stand Made even hotter by my wife playing Lori. <laughs> <laughs> The illustrious embodied Rebecca Naomi Jones, who can do no wrong in my eyes. 
There you go. For those of you at home who are OG real ones going back to American Idiot on Broadway where she played What's Her Name. Ah, there you go. Yes, that's true. Stunning. Oh, Stunning. yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you? Are you familiar with the show? Have you seen this production? I've never seen this production. I've seen the show, obviously, and I've seen the movie like a hundred times, but uh, I've never seen this production. Have, did you have you listened to the cast album? Oh, of course. I was going to talk to you about it. Of course, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll do it three times. Oh my god! Yeah. Um, yeah. As someone who's listening to it, I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Are you? What did you pick up listening to it that felt? Did it feel different than than? I mean, obviously, it felt different. I mean, a thousand percent. Yeah, right. yeah. So, I mean, I'm I'm I've listened to, in addition to being kind of like the original Broadway musical theater music theater historian don't at me like i know it's a complicated (laughs) story but you know certainly considered to be you know as as seminal just like the jazz singers considered to be the first talkie even though it wasn't like this is the seminal show this is the one this certainly the first massive broadway hit as we understand it um and totally did change the art form uh yeah it so it's got a kind of reverence around it. And it also, in addition to that, though, is one of the very first truly successful Broadway cast recordings uh, Mm -hmm. released on a series of 78s way back in the 40s. Um, But it was the thing that sort of made like, oh, we can make albums of these shows and sell the album and people will buy it. Like, this is this is huge. So as the nascent, you know, creator of this art form, we've dedicated a podcast too i am very familiar with the score and the original album i'm also pretty familiar with you know the susan stroman production and and various productions since and it's what's so funny about it is that you know while the show takes place in oklahoma in whatever you know whatever year because they're about to become a state um 1931 nope there we go no that's not it Hold on. 1906, baby. 1906. There we go. The music is is straight Rodgers and Hammerstein, you know, pal Joey, sort of like, you know, any of these songs would fit orchestrally in in various things. There's some country western twinges on the fringe, especially, no pun intended, especially uh, with the opening number, but largely this is... A little twinge on the top, and you know, farmer and the cowman might be, for, must be, for, you know, have have kind of a good beat to them. But the ballads are all Broadway ballads. You know, yeah. that's just that's how they go. Um, I was really, I was really, it was important, I think, for this to listen to it more than once because the first time I listened to it, whenever it came out, and then now, um, it really like it's startling how stripped it is. Uh, Right from the first guitar strum, like at the very, very beginning, it's very clear that like this ain't your granddad's Oklahoma. Like it's really going to be it's going to be what's advertised on the tin. We've all seen stripped down, quote unquote, productions of shows that like do an opening number with an electric guitar. And then after like three minutes of like, psych, it's a full, you know, people paid $200. It's a full production. This This thing never does that. This is like, no, this is what the show is get get ready for it and then you're on your way all the way up through the dream ballet i mean the dream ballet that's the moment really where like that's so different that is shocking it is absolutely just and it's beautiful to listen to but it is hard if you know the dream ballet the first time you listen to it to sort of accept that this is what is happening like this is the music that you're that you're hearing 
It's shattering uh, the fabric of reality. I mean, this is yeah. the, this is the gritty HBO reboot of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's um, really, I mean, being pejoratively called the Oklahoma the f***s, but I really think that that's, that's an excellent description because it does like, it is the, it's, 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 you know, I don't mean dirty in the sense that like it's, 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 you know, salacious, but it's dirty in the sense that like these people are d- dirty. Like they work, they work in the dirt. Like these are people doing like things. They're dirt like the workers. Blue collar Oklahoma. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's very, it, it feels much more closely related to the characters it's purporting to be about. That, yeah. I mean, that's, and that's like, that's really it. Right. Like part yeah. of the reason this, and this was a, this was a, divisive production oh yes it was absolutely yeah people walked out at internet at at, from the uh, saint anne's warehouse production people walked out the broadway production but i mean i would say that of strangely this production gave i think it not not that the show has aged well but Mm. in in this iteration i think it did breathe new life into it in the sense of mm-hmm. they did it the way that it it kind of is <laughs> yeah like they did oklahoma oklahoma is somewhat dirty and horrifying if you play it the way it yeah. as though it's if happening you play it straight this is what it is like if it's not a because the movie is the real great example of like technicolor yuck yuck musical comedy. Like everybody's smiley, everybody's all American, everybody's blonde, and everybody's like super attractive and very funny. And the movie, it's it's very funny. I don't want to be like I'm not casting aspersions or damning with faint praise, but the movie is like I think the the sort of technicolor presentation of this story. And this is not that. This movie is in black. If this is the movie, it's in black and white, and it's like right up up in, and it's like. No, let's let's tell this story. Like, who would the who were these people if this is what they were doing? What were the problems they had? What were their attitudes? And like, you know, a famous number, like let's say, for example, I mean, the most obvious switch, I think, contextually, um, and possibly the most famous, because of course she won the Tony for it, is Ali Stroker as Ado Annie. And it takes not only because, you know, she's in a wheelchair and that's a whole different visual aesthetic, but just listening to the song. If you listen to the original, um, I can't say no, you know, I'm just a girl who can't say no. It's ditzy. And it's like, that's the joke is like, she, she like, (laughs) she likes sex and she keeps kissing people because like, she just forgets she's not supposed to. I'm just a girl who can't say no, can't seem to say it. Setting on the velveteen settee And I think of that old golden rule And do for him what he would do for me If you play the... And humans, humans, we live in subtext. And if you play mm-hmm. the subtext of it and you sing it with the subtext yeah. of an adult woman singing it... Right. A sexually awakened adult woman who's just like, yeah, I like it. I For a while I... Sitting on the velveteen city. Then I think of that old girl. 
and do for him what he would do for me. I can't resist a Romeo in a sombrero and chaps. Shout, I mean, shout out Ali Strover, the incredible yes. I mean, performance. Yeah. She's great. Sis, um, the the um, actress that played Ado Annie uh, on the national tour, mm-hmm. uh, very different having having and 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 so fun and so much realer to have um, all all these different kinds of actresses and performers go on stage and do it. There was a non-binary Will who performed. Uh, on mm. that national tour so kind of letting some of those idealized versions of the all blonde corn fed og right. oklahoma go and right. instead putting real people on stage and letting them sing these songs and going oh my gosh the song has even more meaning and is even more beautiful and fun when mm-hmm. embodied by real people mm-hmm. it like it extends the life of the show. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or it doesn't. This is the interesting thing mm-hmm. to me is that like, I really did. Cause I completely agree with you that, that they really did explore the show and really get it to like, if this is what it is, like, let's do it that way. But like my question sort of becomes, it does it breathe new life into the show or is it sort of like, and that's that <laughs> because there's part of me that looks at this. It's not like you can't do it again. I'm not saying that, but it's sort of like to, to coin a phrase. It feels like it's gone about as far as it can go like this. There's nothing more. There's nothing more to do here with this piece. And it, to me, that actually felt kind of beautiful. It felt mm. like, okay, we started in 1942 or whatever it was. And we came all the way up to 2019 and like, and that pretty much feels like we we can put this one away now. Like, be, you know, take it out, do it. High schools, whatever. Colleges, like this gives you a new point of view and a new arrangement and a new take on it. But like, I don't think we're going to reinvent the wheel on Oklahoma again. You know, like it doesn't, which is what we should say, if you don't know, that early 2000s revival that Susan Stroman did, that was considered a reinvention. Well, that's Oklahoma. what I'm saying. Yeah. Taking it back to our to our friend Will, mm-hmm. you know, Will was singing. They went as far as they can as they can go in 1906, right? And we've and gone farther, right? That's true. I'm, you know, I I think, I mean, I'm happy to call Oklahoma done after. Right. <laughs> I I don't need a 2026 Oklahoma, right? In which in which AI is playing all the characters, like I don't need sure. that, but right. um. No, but that is interesting. I like I think when I say extending the life, it is maybe I'm saying that selfishly. That like Oklahoma was absolutely done gone dusted and dead to mm-hmm. me before this production. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's maybe it's more of like a it 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 like opened, you appreciate Oklahoma. Yeah. It opened the coffin, blew the dust sure. off, and then now the coffin door is shutting. Like, I'm not dead yet. I'm not uh, dead yet. I'm not yeah. dead yet. Uh, well, because I, I do think that this production, hopefully, um, it did come immediately before the the pandemic. Maybe you've heard of it. So it uh, 
sort of it's a it's long term oh. effects are right. It's long term effects are still yet to be felt. But yeah. what I was really hoping for was like, oh, and now this is something we can do. And I'm not saying that every single musical needs to be staged with like four guitars in a in a drum set. Yeah, you are. Okay. Emma's saying that. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that like let's take a look at these dusty sacred relics mm-hmm. and let's see if there's any there there. You know what I mean? Let's really like let's look at this for all that it's worth. Let's go, okay, if you want to do, you know, whatever show for the nine hundredth time, then let's strip it to the studs. Let's put the music in its actual location and let's see what happens after that. You know what I mean? Like the, it's not, it, it just, because the instinct I think before this is, was always to be like, okay, now we're going to do it with, you know, an orchestra twice the size of the original production. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to do it twice as big or three times as big. Every the revivals were bigger and bigger. And like, that was the thing that, you know, you're going to Broadway again, you're paying for the ticket. You want to see the money on stage. And, you know, I really loved the production of um, On the Town, the last one that they did uh, that uh, Kelly and I saw in in New York and really enjoyed. Um, But it was just like On the Town cranked to 11. Like it was really just like this is the brightest, shiniest, funniest, fastest, loudest version of, of On the Town, longest version of On the Town you have ever seen. And like, where do we go from here? I think like now, what does it look like if you take on the town could we yank that i don't know that it would survive but could we could we pull it apart a little bit more could we take it down a few notches Mm. and just see what happens like let's just see what that looks like that's the that's the effect i was really hoping for from this production was a real like if we're gonna revive something think about it think about it long and think about it hard and try come up with a reason not just because hey that's got name recognition let's put that back on the stage again you know, maybe that'll sell some tickets. I have so many follow-up questions for you. I think, I mean, the, the, my first. Yeah, but you're the guest. That's a. <laughs> I know, but, but, but now I'm curious. I'm curious. Okay. okay. Is there when you say like some so, some dusty, some rusty, dusty? Mm-hmm. Show, sure. Are there any off the top of your head that you you're going? You know what? That I'd be interested to see a gritty HBO reboot or like a stripped down to the studs version. Is there one sure. that you're like, that would eat. I was a little disappointed in the most recent, my fair lady revival, not being more interesting in that way than it was. It was very mm. much like the most expensive, you know, again, the biggest col- most col- I mean, it was gorgeous. Don't get me wrong. Like, the design was beautiful, but like, it was just more, it was just my fair lady. Right. To a lot. Like in a budget. Um, exactly i i can never i can never ever say anything about that production other than it was sumptuous and i got to see jordan donica oh Mm -hmm. my god he was freddy Mm -hmm. performance i went and i just i like (laughs) what can i say sure how could i possibly like do i want the gritty hb reboot absolutely like right. give me the give me the full Pygmalion. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean that would what it would be. Yes, right. Like like let's take it back to the source again. But but, it, but that's even pre the musical. Like le- like let's look at this thing about what it is, which is kind of a honest assertion of class and like the problems with that. Now of course you have to change the ending, but like I think they should. So that'd be 
<laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the, like he, the ending is the ending of the musical is relatively consistent. It can be played relatively consistent with Pygmalion, right? It can Stop. be, and yeah. and I've, and and to the and to like in center's credit, like they left it sort of ambiguous with her like running up the stairs or whatever. But um, right. but the yeah, I mean the 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 show could that show could absolutely go further in terms of examining class and sexism and mm-hmm. yeah absolutely absolutely well and like you but you just mentioned another good example of like i think something that tried to do this and failed because i think it it misjudged what the what the issues were where was the most recent camelot revival mm-hmm. where i think in being like in rewriting the book which is a problem don't get me wrong but in like hiring aaron sorkin to rewrite the book and him being like there's no magic like the magic's all gone. It's all very realistic. I'm like, well, hang on. I don't. I, that's not why I tune in, man. Like I tune into Oklahoma for some realism. I'm here like, for Merlin, bitch. <laughs> right. Like I'm not. And it's just, or I mean, it's it's knights and castles and whatever. We don't know who these people were. It's not. It's not like actual historical figures that you've thrown magic on top of. Like these people are myths. Like why are you? Why are you taking literally taking the magic out? But. There is a way to do that. And they kind of in the staging, definitely, especially with the, um, uh, I can't remember the name of the song, but the one they did on the Tony Awards that was, oh, the lusty month of May. Is that? It's yeah. May. Yeah. Right. They were really just like, no, this is, this is the Camelot. The f-ks. Like, seriously. And I was like, we're all sitting at home being like, no. Camelot. Well, that's already. the other problem. Right. Already. <laughs> like, you're not doing anything new by casting more hot people in it. Like, right. Who give us That's side funny. eyes when they sing about the sexy parts, which they were already like, I mean, come on. No. We already had Robert Goulet and Julie Andrews like looking lustily sideways at each other. What? I can't get more sexy than that. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, Thank you. That's, <laughs> That's all. It. Yeah. That's, That's what all... we, why revive it? Yeah. That's all anybody wants. Well, I mean, but then do it. But then you can. I think there is a there is a stripped down or something version of Camelot. It's just not that. Like you miss you miss the mark hmm. a little bit in that, you know, because it's not just that this Oklahoma is sexy. Like that's the sexiness is a byproduct of all the other stuff they're doing. You know what I mean? Well, the sexiness is because is, I mean, for those of you listening, I'm doing, I'm doing a cigarette smoking gesture. Um, for those of you who are my lovely people at home. Yes, um, right. Like if we want to, if we want to break down, like what, what is sexy, right? Sure. Like, oh yeah. Why did people give this the moniker "sexy Oklahoma"? Mm-hmm. And like, if you look up any of the videos, something that was clear in the staging that that does come through vocally, that's super effective. Um, but and the stripped downness is part of it. I think there's a groundedness, and there's mm-hmm. a a connectedness from like resonating from the chest, resonating from the belly. Mm-hmm. Um, the staging was very uh, sparse and embodied. Like the dancing was very um, loose and free in this. There's something very visceral and grounded about it. And in mm-hmm. so many ways in this production, everything was very like, Close shots. Um, the lighting was very sparse. The the costumes were updated and tight fitting. Um, 
there were ad libs in this production. Like things felt mm. a little more connected from the belly button mm. than connected from like the head and we're sort of facing out and facing out stage. I mean, it was staged in the round. There was cornbread mm. sort of intermission. Like you were invited to eat. That's part of the story. And we've talked about, mm-hmm. we've talked about subtext. Like mm-hmm. this production thriving thriving because it allowed it gave room for subtext and the actors were encouraged to play the subtext mm-hmm. like that's the story but but they're telling the story like the story if you play it straight is this thing if you play camelot straight camelot straight is about magic and sex right if you take that out of it it stops being camelot it's so human like it's just mm-hmm. so realistic and it's not not realistic in a sort of like in, in a in a you know every there's actual dust and cows on the stage. Realistic in the sense that like like you say, we're 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 taking away all of the little trappings of theater, the artifices. Yeah, yeah, we're taking away just enough of them to draw attention to the fact that like these people are like there's just four tables and a big round room and the band's right there. And sometimes the characters will be standing at microphones and sometimes they won't. You're very aware that you're watching a show. And when you do that properly to me in the sort of like the, the, the true Thornton Wilder school of that, like really being like, this is a show, like saying it over and over again, what you can achieve is then the audience falls into this very complacent attitude they're just like i know what's going on we're all in on this it's a show and when they do that they let their guard down a little bit and then you can really get emotional with them like you can get right at them because they're not guard all the trappings are gone so the proscenium's gone so they're not like they have no protection they let their own guard down and people then can like sit on tables and look at each other lustily and you're just like yes i'm a thousand percent I okay, like all right, this is for real. Yeah, like this is okay, this is happening. And yes, and and the other sort of choice that was that's in this that you can that I'm obsessed with, Mm -hmm. um, Patrick Vale as Judd Fry. Mm -hmm. Uh, What they did with Judd in this production, um, and I didn't notice it until I re-listened to the cast album today. Um, Everybody in the show has is is doing um like Oklahoma accents, regional accents. And right. Patrick Vale is not. He is singing straight, mm-hmm. uh, like a like a an eastern seaboard accent. Um he sounds he sounds like my 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 family in DC. Um <laughs> even though my family is Southern, so whatever. He sounds like a sure. freaking, right. you know, kid. Yeah. Anyway, um and instead of having a clear delineated bad guy in this production, we had someone who is less, uh, and Patrick Vale is gorgeous, but costumed and and made up to be less naturally attractive, less mm-hmm. charming, not less worthy of love. Right. Someone who's maybe a little less God-given gorgeous as right. Damandano and with his lusty head of curls and you know mm-hmm. vocal cords old um and to your point by setting up this by not giving us a big bad right in the show, right the second act of the show starts to starts to we start to look for who's at fault right mm-hmm. we start to look for okay well what if Judd's not the bad guy, who is? 
Right. And it opens up the conversation about complicity and violence in America and our history of violence and mm-hmm. history of the judicial system, which is kind of what happens at the end of the play. No spoilers. Right. Uh, like, <laughs> it was a really brilliant, like, on its surface, it seems like a very simple, clean cut choice to just, mm-hmm. just tell the story as simply as possible. With masterful actors and and a brilliant direction and insane sound design, but like right. just tell the story, yeah, like people. But the but the result is you get a, a super emotionally complex ending with no clear good or bad guy, where everyone has blood on their hands, literally. Yes. Um, fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it really becomes because the thing about Judd is that. He's not like in a in a different story in the love triangle. It, it's the much more straightforward uh, that Laurie's father wants her to marry Judd because whatever he's a far, you know, he's a farmer, not a cowboy, blah, sure. blah, blah, whatever the thing is. And then in the end, it would be discovered that Judd is like actually stealing from the farm or selling the farm to somebody. But he'd be some kind of villain. And that's how he could be excised from the story. Right. But. Judd actually it feels like one of those really funny things that can happen sometimes where the, the the reason they need to get rid of Judd is because he's just the wrong he's not the romantic hero so the romantic heroes have to kind of get together and like kick the character out of the story because you don't like his whole thing is he doesn't fit like you're not it's not you you're not the I'm the I'm the romantic lead you're not so please stop. Like that always seems to be the whole argument of poor Judd is dead, um, which is always a song that I found to be like deeply upsetting. <laughs> like, it's a bullying song. It is like I mean, it's it's more than bullying. It's really that like like he's really Curly is like really going at him where it hurts. He's like really torturing this guy. and. Yeah. It's I I was always funny like especially in the movie because I think Rod Steiger who plays Judd in the movie is such a good actor like I really was watching that I remember the first time in the movie and just being like this sucks like everything about this sucks I don't know what I'm supposed to be feeling right now because like I have a tremendous amount of empathy for Judd that's all you're really getting from me here and I don't like Curly. Poor Judd is dead. A candle lights his head. He's laying in a coffin made of wood. wood. And folks are feeling sad because they used to treat him bad. And now they know their friend is gone for good. Good. Poor Judd is dead. A candle lights his head. He's looking up so pretty. So nice. He looks like he's asleep. It's a shame that he won't keep. But it's summer. Yes. I mean, it's very 
like you you kind of got to this earlier this this production is very voyeuristic and even listening yes, to it, yes. it feels that way mm-hmm. um in in during poor judd, judd is dead that was when one of the um handheld camera situations was happening in the staging so right um they were using live video feeds and it just felt it felt very perverse mm-hmm. as an audience to watch this interaction between two people um it, yeah, it was, it was, and yeah, you get a little bit of the sense by the end of it that you're, you've seen something that you're not supposed to see. They've both done something that they didn't mean to do. Right. Like, like Curly played a little too hard. Right. Yes. And, he pushed and this you, a little too play far. Yeah. hard with the wrong person. Yeah. You, you, you don't realize you've done the damage until the damage is done kind of thing. Yeah. Um, totally. Totally. And it should be pointed out if you don't know this production at all, like like I was saying, like in the original production, if you know it, Judd is killed at the end uh, so that he's excised from the from the story and everybody he's can be happy. Removed, yeah. Right. But it's an accident. There's like and it's an accident he sort of causes because he's sort of maybe trying to kill Curly. It's all very unclear, but he uh, there's a lot of plausible deniability floating around at the end of the show. And Judd is dead. Like, that's yes. what we've got. Um in the end of this production, Curly kills Judd. It's not it, it's not a question who killed who. He absolutely yeah. kills him. And then everybody just decides that's There's fine. like a sham trial. Yeah. Right. And everybody's just kind of like, Yeah, I think we're all I, I think we're happier that Judd's not here. Like it sucks, but we're all sort of like, Yeah, this is okay. And now we can all be because the 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 funny thing about the end of the show is that, you know, Judd dies, we have a little scene and then everybody sings Oklahoma and it's this big rip roaringly like excited, happy, you know, if you know Oklahoma, you probably know, oh, what a beautiful morning. And you probably know, oh, Oklahoma, like that's what everybody knows. Right. Yeah. But in this recording, and it might sound weird if you don't know that's what's happened at the end. The closing number, while it has energy behind it, it really feels like people trying to have a good time more than people actually having a good time. a frantic manic energy to it mm-hmm. um that is deeply upsetting and please listen to it if, if you haven't um yes and absolutely know that, and know that while they're saying this Lori and curly are both in uh curly's in a white tux Lori's in a white wedding dress um they're both splattered with blood right. there was a there's a there's a sort of a blood effect that happens um and so it, it it's as we're talking about this, not to bring, you know, bring us into the dark side here and mention straight plays, but sure, there's, that's fine. there's this production very much reminds me in some ways, and I wish I could have seen it. I just read a lot about it, um, of Downstate, Plants Horizons, that was in 2022. Um, mm-hmm. It was another off-Broadway house that does, you know, um, awesome, edgy, crazy right. shows. Another very yes. divisive show. Yeah. And... Uh, in talking yeah, the Bruce about Bruce Norris play, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. talking yes, about the whole 
like Judd problem. Mm-hmm. Um, that play, which I d- admittedly did not see, but read, read extensively about her, you know, talked to people about it. Um, there's this feeling of shining a light into the corners of humanity that we would rather not look at. Um, mm-hmm. for, for sometimes, and sometimes with, with good reason, but sure. shining a light at, in these corners of humanity. And um, I thought that the choice to make Curly absolutely without a doubt a killer Mm -hmm. um the community also at fault by complicity curly uh lori also at fault by complicity um in killing and in killing somebody who is unfortunate and greasy and Mm -hmm. doesn't smell great and doesn't talk well and you know doesn't articulate himself makes everyone uncomfortable but like is a person right is a person yeah and that sort of like i thought that 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 um especially seeing it in 2019 pre you know downstate pre mm-hmm. sort of a rash of like as it always was like gritty off-broadway weird plays right like, of course yes this was this was a this was particularly affecting um and and yeah it, it, it you walk away from it shaken which is like not what you go into Oklahoma to see Oklahoma for. I mean, like literally, the show yeah. is the joke. I mean, the show is like you know that's yeah. the it's the quintessential American musical comedy where nothing matters and everything's silly and it's all fluff, and you can't, you know, you can't. It's like Brigadoon in that way. Like there's just some shows yeah. where if you invoke them, like what you're talking about is silliness. And what's so interesting as you were describing it, I was sort of imagining. There's also a meta textual thing going on here, which may or may not be intentional of the like in regards to the community deciding to ignore the bad part because they need Curly and they need Laurie and they need this union and they need to be a state and they just need to put their heads down and go forward. There is some meta textual things like all the terrible stuff, first of all, you do to become like a state. Like, let's start with that. But then also... It's sort of a response to what we do with a lot of pieces of musical theater from this time, where we just sort of like decide that the show is so important that we're going to ignore the fact that it's about a girl, about a guy who hits a girl so good she falls in love with him. Like, it's just like you can't put you can't ignore it. You can't put that away. You have to confront it. And then when you confront it, you discover like, okay, is it worth hanging on to or is it worth putting it in a cupboard and sort of being like, yes, that's a show. And we, we read about the show and you can listen to this album, but we don't do the show anymore because we were younger then. we, un- but like, you know, we're, we're, we understand now that like, that's not what it is. And so in a in really weird way, it's kind of this, like the whole ending is this metatextual commentary on what they're doing with Oklahoma being like, I mean, this is what it is folks. Do you like it or not? I don't know. Like you decide. To sort of Patrick, just, that's like, one of the most beautiful and insightful commentaries on a show i think i maybe have ever heard that was so beautiful and insightful absolutely i think that's absolutely it yeah that's that and i think that with that insight i argue put it away Mm -hmm. you know um i think i argue put it away don't walk out of it but put it away right yeah like 
this is the other thing. There's a the, the thing that gets missed in this conversation that we almost have like a thousand times a year in, in a grand sense. I mean, the we, the, the large theater community sense is like when I say put it away, I don't mean put it away and kill it with fire and deny it ever existed. I don't mean no. that. I mean that like the show has done has served its purpose. It birthed an art form. It's been revived a few times. There are tunes in it that everybody maybe should know and should learn in their book. Like it should have, you know, some sopranos and, and duets. And there's interesting, you know, sing. I can't say no, like can't say no, like give that, you know, but give it a, like there's stuff you can do with these songs. But as a as a show, as a unit, like maybe not anymore. Yeah. But also the good side of that to me is twofold. One, there's new stuff. We should be doing that. But two. Like okay, let's take out some of the other tricky ones and do this again. Like let's try this. Like let's 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 stretch. Let's take those dark corners of the of carousel and like really stare at it and be like, is this anything? Instead of staging a production of Carousel, and then when people bring up that like the the cop the fact that that's the plot of Carousel, uh, getting defensive. Like no no let's like let's look at this thing. Like what is it here? You know. Authors are yeah. These authors are all dead. What do you? What, what are we? Who are we? What are we offending here? Who are we hurting? Like let's let's examine cultural attitudes towards abuse in the fifties, six, you know, and, and then all the way up through history. Like let's see where does this fit in that, and then absolutely, and then is, are, is there anything from it that can be we that we should right. can and should bring forward with us? Yes, mm-hmm. and can we? Like what can be salvaged, right? Like exactly. what, can we, what lessons can we get from it that we can take forward? And like, I'm still sort of reveling in your insight about the metasexual nature of it. <laughs> I'm like, you sort of snatched my eyebrows off. Favorite song. I, I have to ask. I was going to say, yes, I have to ask you. What is your favorite song from Oklahoma? I think I have two on this cast album. I think that okay. my favorite, well, there are so many good ones. Um, I think the execution of Surrey with the French on top is incredible. Mm-hmm. No one's singing it like Damon's singing it. You know no. what I mean? Yeah, no one's absolutely. out here just blowing, blowing vocal cords like my man sure. Damon. Um, I think, obviously, can't say no, killer. Amazing. Sure. Deserving of the Tony. Um, but my fave? All or nothing mm-hmm. slept on hit. And I'll tell mm-hmm. you why. I'll tell you why. And this is something for the for the folks that are into cast albums. I appreciated that the people, the artists in uh involved in this production, incredible actors, incredible singers, and great movers, great dancers, vocally all super distinct. Mm-hmm. vocally not like the paragons of technical perfection nor were they trying to be like they were not trying to be sure. vocal perfect with the exception maybe of Dan and Donna who was who was also OG Orpheus in workshop production in Hades Town right. like all sound like real people singing Ali Stroker also kind of inhuman but whatever um, all incredible Broadway performers I thought All or Nothing's 
sounds so sweet. It sounds like two people in a very flawed way trying to fight towards each other. Mm, hmm. This is a and this is you know a a commitment to the performer's execution of it, but like the it being an argument towards trying to find a way to make this work, despite having two totally different relationship orientations. Right. You know, Ado mm-hmm. Annie clearly being a polyamorous woman who has been shoehorned sure. in monogamy and sure. a monogamous man trying to make it work. Um, I think they just killed it. Um, thank you so much for, for bringing this back into my, into my ears for, uh, for this. This is uh, where, where can people find you on the internet? Please find me um, on Instagram at at M Whitworth. That's spelled E M W H I T W O R T H. When I give my name at coffee shops, they think I'm saying Emma, Amy, or the letter M, and the, none oh. of those are. Well, so... the letter M's not bad. I don't. I don't. That that one's of all of those on a coffee, like on a on a cup. That that one works for me the most. <laughs> Imagine if it was full Hamilton and just started going by M dot Wit. There you go. M. Dot I mean, no, I'm like one pumpkin either way. Um, <laughs> nope, follow me. I'll, I'm around. With me, it's all or nothing. Is it all or nothing with you? It can't be in between. It can't be now and then. No half and half romance will do. I'm a one-woman man, home love and tie, all complete with slippers and pipe. Take me like I am or leave me be. If you can't give me all, give me nothing. And nothing's what you'll get from me. Not even something. Nothing's what you'll get from me. The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. Please rate and review the original cast on your podcatcher of choice. It's the easiest way to help other listeners find the show. Go to bit.ly slash original cast store for original cast merchandise like t-shirts, tote bags, and more. Become a patron of the original cast at patreon.com slash original cast pod so you can listen to our bonus podcast, the original cast at the movies. On the socials, we're at original cast pod. Special thanks to our social media manager, Bethany Zalecki. Hi, Bethany. My thanks to M. Whitworth are coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn. And I can't. I have rehearsal. With you, it's all or nothing. All for you and nothing for me. But if a wife is wise, she's got to realize men like you are wild and free. So I ain't gonna fuss, ain't gonna frown. Have your fun, go out on the town. Stay up late and Oh, wait, oh, Annie.